This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Wait up, Cricket! Stop walking so fast. You should really be heading home. Maybe you just need to catch up. It's past three in the morning. All the respectable girls are asleep in their beds by now. You've had a lot to drink. Let me walk you home, huh? (laughs) Who said anything about me being respectable? Now, quit being such a wet blanket and stop following me. It's creepy. I'm just trying to look out for you, Cricket. Which makes one of us... I can handle myself, especially in this town. Trust me. (sighs) Here, let me help you. I'm fine. Listen, kid, you're a great friend and all, but can't you tell when someone's trying to shake you? Go on home now like anyone respectable would. Around 3 a.m. on the morning of March 31, 1949, Ovita Cricket Kugler had been drinking heavily. She stumbled toward home in the dark, with her friend Luther Mosley trailing behind her. Luther followed her for a few blocks until a car slowed to a stop. The car motored off, leaving Luther alone in the street. He was the last person, other than her killer, to ever see her alive. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. Well, you can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unsolved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you're enjoying today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. You can listen to previous episodes of Unsolved Murders, as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on Ovida Cricket Kugler, an 18-year-old New Mexican waitress who was murdered in 1949. This week, we'll examine the life of Ovida Kugler and the night she disappeared. 
Next week, we'll cover the investigation, trial, and allegations of cover-ups that spiraled into the biggest political scandal New Mexico had ever seen. Ovita Kugler was born on November 9, 1930, in Cottondale, Florida, to Ben and Ollie Kugler. She had a twin brother, Willie, and two older sisters, Valetta and Cookie. In 1943, when Ovita was 13 years old, her father contracted tuberculosis. On doctor's orders, the family moved west to the small town of Las Cruces, New Mexico. To all who knew her, Ovita was said to be vivacious, outgoing, Confident, though a bit uppity, she was small in stature, weighing roughly 90 pounds, but made up for her size with witty repartee. She was known as Cricket to her friends and family, though it's unclear if that was because she was small and always on the move, or because of the sound her high heels made when she walked. When Cricket was 14, her father died. To help shoulder some of the financial burden, Cricket dropped out of high school and entered the workforce. Cricket took on the responsibility of providing for her mother and twin brother, Willie. Cricket found work as a waitress and, over the next four years, worked at several of the small cafes in town. She was also a frequent bar patron at night, despite the fact that she was underage. What's a dame got to do to get some service around this joint, huh? I'll have a gin and tonic. Neat. Come on, Cricket. You know the rules. Oh, you're no fun. They let me at the deluxe. Come on, Johnny. What do you say? I say this isn't the deluxe. Look, how's about the next time you're over at the diner, I set you up with a nice, juicy steak on the house. <laughs> it's going to take more than a hunk of meat to tempt me on this one. Oh, yeah? Well, what could I tempt you with? <laughs> you're relentless, kid. Here. Don't tell anyone, okay? I don't want word getting out that I'm serving minors. Promise? Cross my heart, hope to die. Even though Las Cruces was a small town, with a total population of over 10,000, its downtown had a vibrant nightlife on any given day of the week. State officials and businessmen from Santa Fe favored the city for its plentiful liquor, gambling, and sex workers. Illegal gambling halls and brothels were commonplace in the downtown area, and law enforcement was known to look the other way, if the price was right. On the southern edge of town, the New Mexico College of Agriculture and Mechanic Arts, or A&M, now known as New Mexico State University, was practically overrun with young war veterans using their GI bills to complete their educations. So, on any night of the week, one might find rowdy college students, locals, army vets, state officials, and soldiers from the nearby White Sands Missile Range intermingling in the pressure cooker that became downtown Las Cruces. And Cricket Kugler was at the center of it all. What can I get you fellas started with today? Maybe an omelet? What's a sweet thing like you doing slinging eggs in a dive like this? Shouldn't your husband be taking care of you? I can take care of myself, mister. <laughs> I bet you can, dollface. Can you take care of me, too, if you catch my drift? That depends. What's in it for me? I'll bet my friend George Washington can think of a few things. Pick you up after your shift ends? You married? Would it make a difference? We'll see. I might still be around later. 
By the time Cricket was 15, she was known for partying around town. She liked to hang around with the state officials that made their way to Las Cruces and was seen leaving town with them on many occasions. She was young, hot-tempered, and always looking for her next thrill. It wasn't uncommon for Cricket to be away from home for days or even weeks at a time, which made it difficult for her to keep steady work. Cricket didn't make a lot of money as a waitress, and it was heavily rumored, but never confirmed, that she was having sex with several well-connected men in exchange for money. One thing that did seem steady? Violence. Her dry cleaner told reporters that he had cleaned many bloodstains out of Cricket's clothes over the years, some of which were very thoroughly saturated. From time to time, Cricket could be seen sporting fresh bruises, presumably from men who got too rough with her. She was also known to jump out of moving cars to escape her suitors if things weren't going the way she liked or if she suspected danger. Late in 1946, Cricket showed up at the dorm of some A&M students, covered in fresh bruises and looking extremely disheveled. She wouldn't give any details, but it was obvious someone had beaten her up and that she walked a very long distance. They gathered that she had either thrown herself out of a car or been abandoned in the desert. The students drove her back to town at her request and dropped her off at the Tortuga's Cafe, where she said she had a change of clothes waiting. Cricket refused to tell them where she lived so that they weren't able to take her home. She also wouldn't let them drop her off at the police station. Later, the two students told newspapers that they thought Cricket had been assaulted pretty badly, but she refused to name her abuser. Cricket never reported the incident, and it was never investigated. On March 30, 1949, 18-year-old Cricket was working at the Deluxe Cafe on Main Street. She finished her shift around 3 p.m. and went for a walk after. Friends who saw her around town said it seemed like she was having a bad day and mostly left her alone. Around 6 p.m., she finally arrived back at her house. Cricket, is that you? Yes, Mother. I'm just changing. Changing for what? A date. Can you help me with my zipper? And who are you stepping out with tonight, dear? Just a date. You must be something special if you're wearing those shoes. Are you going to tell me who this fella is, or do I have to guess? I can't tell you his name. Cricket never did tell her mother who her date was, or anything else for that matter. She never got the chance. Coming up, we'll go step by step through Cricket's last night. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the story. At 6 p.m. on March 30, 1949, 18-year-old Las Cruces waitress Cricket Kugler stopped by home to prepare for a date. She refused to tell her mother who she was meeting up with before heading back into town around 7 p.m. 
What Cricket did for the next two hours is unclear, but we do know that having had a few drinks, Cricket stumbled into the deluxe diner around 9 p.m. She worked there, but she'd finished her scheduled shift earlier that day. Instead, Cricket kept drinking, until she ran into 26-year-old downtown regular Luther Mosley. Hey, you Cricket. Mind if I join you? Sure, but you better buy a gala drink, too. Barkeep, another for the lady? So, what are you doing out all by yourself, huh? Who said I'm by myself? Judging from the amount of whiskey you've been nursing, I'd say he's a no-show. You keeping tabs on me, Luther? Apparently I ain't the only one. That fathead in the khakis has been eyeing you for the better part of an hour. If you don't like it so much, why don't you go over there and say something? Are you kidding me? That guy's as big as a Sherman tank. He'd level me. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> Here's some napkins. Let's sop that up before it drips onto your clothes. Why should I care? I'll never live to wear it again anyway. What are you talking about? Here, let me get that. While talking with Luther at the diner, Cricket made a strange statement, suggesting she thought she didn't have long to live. Luther didn't know what she meant, so he brushed the comment off as a joke. Cricket and Luther eventually made their way to the Tortugas Cafe, where a waitress refused to serve Cricket because of her drunkenness. Local police officer Ruben Flores saw the exchange and stepped in to have a few words with Cricket. The two were most likely well acquainted, as Flores was one of two policemen in the town. He could sense that Cricket had been drinking, but let her go with a stern warning. Cricket's nighttime antics were rather commonplace, and Flores probably found it easier to let her off with a warning rather than spoil his dinner by making an arrest. Cricket and Luther left the cafe at 9.45 p.m. and moved on to the Union Bus Depot. They had coffee and donuts before heading back to Tortugas at 10.45. By 11.30 p.m., they were back at the Deluxe, where Cricket continued to drink away her sorrows. It was almost midnight when Jerry Newsom, a 26-year-old professional football player for the Pittsburgh Steelers, strolled onto the scene. Cricket had managed to shake Luther for the time being. She had just sat down to have a cigarette at the bar when Newsom approached. Excuse me, miss. Let me uh, help you with that. Hey, what do you think you're doing? Putting out my cigarette. What are you playing at? I was trying to get a pretty gal to give me the time of day. I'd say it worked. Well, aren't you a smooth operator? Smooth as a peach, honey. What's your name? My name's Ovita, but my friends call me Cricket. And what do more than friends call you? Let's just stick with Cricket for now, Mr... Newsom, but everyone calls me Jerry. Say, a couple of us are headed next door for some shuffleboard. Care to join us? Well, I've got nothing better to do, Jerry. Cricket and Newsom went next door to the Del Rio bar with Luther Mosley not far behind. No doubt more drinks were consumed. It wasn't long before Cricket decided to leave the bar with Newsom. As the pair walked toward Newsom's brand-new maroon Mercury sedan... Newsom thought it would be funny to physically pick Cricket up and try to force her into his car. Luther stepped out of the bar at this moment and witnessed the interaction. Hey, put me 
down, you big lug! <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's the matter, sweetheart? <laughs> hey, buddy, the lady doesn't have to go with you if she doesn't want to. Listen, fella, are you looking for trouble? If you are, you'd better leave town and leave fast. I hate to break it to you, but I never have been made to leave town before, and you ain't the guy to do it, judging by the state you're in. Now calm down, calm down. It was just a prank. After Newsom's insistence that he was just joking, Luther dropped the matter. Newsom went back into the Del Rio and joined his friends. Cricket followed, but sat at the bar by herself. Luther returned as well and sat in a booth nearby where he could keep a close watch. It was now 12.30 a.m. on the morning of March 31st. Cricket made a phone call to Joel Coffey, a taxi driver she had been casually seeing, and invited him to join her at the bar. He declined. Luther saw Cricket crying and tried to cheer her up with conversation. Around 1.30 a.m., Newsom invited the pair to another game of shuffleboard in a friendly effort to mend fences. They played until the bar closed, then moved back to the deluxe around 2 a.m. Well, bear in mind, this was the fourth time Cricket had been there today. Luther was hoping to take Cricket home, but she rejected him. Around 2.20, she moved to an empty booth to be alone. This left a perfect opening for Jerry Newsom to swoop in yet again. Much like a tennis match, it seemed the two men were volleying to see who would get to take Cricket Kugler home, and it was a standoff. Around 2.30, Cricket decided once more to leave with Newsom. And almost like deja vu, for the second time within as many hours, Newsom picked up Cricket and tried to physically put her in his car. Well, this time, Deluxe manager Bob Ash was on the scene to intervene. <laughs> Up you go. Hey, what's the big idea? Put me down. Bob, Bob, don't let him take me. What's going on out here? You put her down. You trying to interfere in my business? I'm not trying to get involved in your business, but she called out for me to help, and it looks like you're trying to kidnap her. Let me go. I was just fooling anyway. Newsom let Cricket go, and the argument ended. Cricket went back in the cafe. About a half an hour later, Cricket decided to walk home by herself. She didn't know it at first, but Luther followed her. It didn't take long for him to announce his presence in the form of a warning. Cricket! Watch that car! Get out of the road! It's gonna hit you! Luckily, the driver saw Cricket. The car was able to slow down in time leaving Cricket unscathed. The two men in the car were police officers Ruben Flores and Vicente Lucero. They offered to give Cricket a ride home, but she refused. She wanted to go her own way. The officers let her go, but Luther kept watching. Out of the officers' sights, Cricket took off running. She didn't make it far before she lost her balance. <laughs> Cricket! Are you okay? Cricket, are you hurt? Do you need help? What the hell? A dark colored car motored past Cricket then stopped halfway down the lane. It slowly turned around. The car came to a stop in front of Cricket 
and she climbed in, joining a man in a hat. Luther watched as the car drove off and disappeared into the night, the mysterious man and the girl he liked inside. Several hours later at the Kugler house, Cricket's mother began cooking breakfast as usual. Cricket's 18-year-old brother Willie soon emerged from his own room, drawn by the smell of frying bacon. Morning, Mom. At least one of my children has decided to stir. Good morning, Willie. Now go on and see if you can rouse Cricket. Breakfast is almost ready. Crick, time to get up now. Breakfast is on. Cricket? You in there? She's not here. What? She didn't tell me she'd be out all night. Ollie Kugler stood in the doorway to her daughter's empty bedroom, staring at the neatly folded sheets. Cricket's bed was still made from the day before. She had never returned home. Up next, the search for Cricket begins. And now, back to our story. On March 31st, 1949, Ollie Kugler discovered that her daughter, 18-year-old Cricket, never made it home from her date the night before. It wasn't unusual for Cricket to stay out late, but it was unusual for her to not come home at all. Even then, she was always sure to let her mother know if she'd be gone overnight. Cricket hadn't said she'd be out late. She hadn't said much of anything the night before. As the hours passed with no sign of her daughter, Ollie Kugler grew increasingly worried. When night fell, Cricket was still missing. By 8 o'clock on the morning of April 1st, 1949, Ollie was in a full-blown panic. It had been 36 hours since she'd talked to Cricket. She phoned the police to report her daughter missing. Ollie spoke to Sheriff Alfonso Happy Apodaca, who was less than concerned. Cricket had a reputation around town for being a bit of a party girl. She was even known to keep company with Sheriff Happy from time to time. Sheriff Happy told Ollie the Cricket he knew would turn up on her own time. Most likely, she just ran away for a night or two. But Ollie's fears couldn't be quelled. She pressed, and eventually, Happy agreed to look into Cricket's disappearance. But he didn't, at least not right away. On April 6th, five days after Ollie Kugler reported her daughter missing, Sheriff Happy finally made the news public. The Las Cruces Sun News picked up the story a day later and reported that Cricket had only been missing for one day. In reality, she'd been missing for six. With little to no word from Happy about his investigation, Cricket's mother spoke with the Las Cruces Sun News. It had been 10 days since she'd last seen or heard from Cricket. What does your daughter look like, ma'am? My daughter's 18 years old, five foot two inches, about 100 pounds. Any distinctive birthmarks or scars? Um, she has a scar on her left leg from a burn, I think. What was she wearing when you last saw her? She was wearing a gray suit with blue stripes. She'd borrowed a pair of red shoes from her sister and had a red purse to match. Is there anything else you think would be helpful? She didn't take her billfold with her that night, which I thought was odd. Why would she go out without any money? Thank you, Mrs. Kugler. I'm sure she'll turn up soon. 
Oh, and I remember she'd also painted her finger and toenails bright red. You see, she had a date that night and had bought a new suit jacket for the occasion. Sheriff Happy only urged the public to get involved after Ollie's account came out in the papers on April 9th, 1949. He asked anyone who had pertinent information or leads on Cricket Kugler's whereabouts to contact his office. However, it seemed like he took no further action into the matter. On April 12th, Ollie Kugler called the sheriff again. Hello, Sheriff. May I speak to you for a minute? Yes, Mrs. Kugler. What do you want now? Well, it's about Cricket. She's been gone for 13 days. Why hasn't she come home? I'm sick with worry about it. Now, now. I'm sure it's nothing to get all in a tizzy about. Mind your little nerves, dear. Please, Happy. I'm begging you. You gotta find my Cricket. Mrs. Kugler, I assure you. I'm doing all that I can. You haven't even done a search. Now go round up a posse and bring me back my daughter. Mrs. Kugler, I'll remind you to watch your tone and remember who you're speaking to. I meant no offense, Sheriff. But I do think the papers might find it interesting that no formal search has been conducted. Don't you? Are you threatening me, Mrs. Kugler? Who? Me and my little nerves? I wouldn't dream of it. After his office received several phone calls and complaints about the lack of response for Cricket Kugler, Sheriff Happy finally organized a search party. Of sorts. He recruited 30 local Boy Scouts and announced that he would personally lead them on a search for Cricket. He took the Scouts east of the city and combed the terrain. But after only a few hours of searching, the Sheriff called it a day. Reports state that Happy brought in a few of the usual local suspects for questioning, but didn't glean anything substantial. With no results from the scout search and no trail to follow, it seemed that Sheriff Happy became content to sit back on his haunches once more. But it looked like things were about to change when Carl Bammert, Cricket's brother-in-law, came to talk with the sheriff. Bammert gave Sheriff Happy the names of three possible suspects, Jerry Newsom, Luther Mosley, and an on-again, off-again boyfriend of Cricket's named Lauren Welch. He also told the sheriff where to find Luther. Bammert also reported the location of a car fitting the description of the one Luther had seen Cricket get into on March 31st. Unfortunately, Happy never followed up on these leads. At this point, Cricket had been missing for 15 days, and by all records, Sheriff Happy had given up. Around this time, Las Cruces resident Robert Estrada called Happy's personal residence. He left a message saying he had important news about the Cricket Kugler case and waited for his call to be returned. But Happy never called him back. If he had, he would have learned something that would have changed the fundamental nature of the case. Shortly after midnight on April 1st, Estrada was driving home along Highway 80. About 25 miles outside of town, he passed a young woman that looked like Cricket Kugler. She was dressed in some sort of gray suit and high heels and running unsteadily as if she was drunk. She called out for help, so Estrada slowed down to make a U-turn. But right then, a dark green pickup truck stopped on the side of the road, right next to Cricket. Two men got out and beat Cricket, 
before throwing her into the truck and speeding off. At first, Estrada thought what he'd witnessed was some sort of family tussle, and he didn't want to intervene in their private matters, so he kept driving. When he read about Cricket in the papers, Estrada reconsidered his original assessment and made his call to Happy. But neither Happy nor anyone from the police department ever called him back. Luckily, this wasn't the only highway sighting. On April 15th, Mesilla Park resident Sid Howard phoned Sheriff Happy to report a possible connection to Cricket's case. Howard told Happy he'd spotted a red high-heeled shoe on the side of Route 80 and remembered seeing it there as far back as April 4th. He hadn't thought anything of it until he read the description Ollie Kugler had given of Cricket's last outfit in the paper. Stating he was busy with other work, Sheriff Happy said he'd get back in touch with Howard later. When Happy eventually reached out to Howard, he simply asked him to bring the shoe into town the next time he drove by. Howard agreed. Once in possession of the shoe, Happy did actually take it to the electric shoe shop for inspection. A worker was able to identify a brace he'd placed against a crack in the heel and believed that he had made the repair for Cricket's sister. Well, it was a known fact that Cricket had borrowed those shoes from her sister, and it was becoming increasingly clear that Cricket, or at least her shoe, had been on Highway 80 at some point after March 31st. The same day, officers took the shoe to Ollie Kugler. She identified it as one Cricket had been wearing on her last night out. It appeared something terrible had happened to Cricket. As news of the discovery spread, Local reporter Alice Groover took the opportunity to press Sheriff Happy about its significance. Sheriff, can you confirm that it was in fact Miss Kugler's shoe that you found? Yes, we believe it to be the shoe Cricket, I mean Miss Kugler, was wearing on the night of her disappearance. And? And what? Well, isn't this potentially a huge break in the case? Huge? Lady, it's a shoe. That's all. But wouldn't this be considered the first real piece of evidence in this case? Until now, it seemed like Miss Kugler had simply dropped off the face of the earth. (sighs) Listen, this finding doesn't amount to anything. Don't go spinning it into something it's not. This comment and Happy's reluctance to do any real investigating was something Groover's reporter's intuition couldn't shake. After speaking with Sheriff Happy, she was even more convinced that something strange was going on. Groover spoke to the editor of the El Paso Herald Post, Ed Pooley. She didn't have the time or resources to do the type of investigative journalism this case needed, but Groover believed Pooley's staff could get to the bottom of things. Reporter Walt Finley overheard their conversation and decided to see for himself what exactly was going on in Las Cruces. So he packed his bags and headed into town with his sights set on Sheriff Happy. On April 16, 1949, 17 days after Cricket Kugler was last seen, two pairs of teenage brothers went rabbit hunting. Jerry and Glenn Smith and Charles and Jerry Hawkins often hunted near the Mesquite Cemetery. But this turned into a day that they would never forget. I see one. Hold it steady now. Keep her in your sights. Take a deep breath. Now! Dang it! I missed again. 
Don't worry, you'll get the hang of it. Will I get the hang of it before dinner time? I sure am getting hungry. Did you see that? There! Now follow those ears! Oh my god, guys, come quick! The decomposing body of a barely recognizable young woman lay strewn on the sandy desert floor. She was lying on her back with her clothes pushed up around her neck. Her lower half was bare, and from the looks of it, someone had attempted to cover her with a couple shovelfuls of sand. Did you catch one? Oh, what's that smell? It's a, it's a girl. How can you even tell? The whole body's flat. Look at her fingers and toes. Red nail polish. After 17 days, Cricket Kugler had finally been found. Now, the town of Las Cruces had a new question for the sheriff. How did she get there? Join us next week as we follow Cricket's case down a rabbit hole of lies, cover-ups, corruption, and the biggest political scandal New Mexico had ever seen. Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. And we'll be back next Tuesday with part two of the Ovida Cricket Kugler case. For more information on Ovida Cricket Kugler, amongst the many sources we used, we found Paula Moore's book, Cricket in the Web, the 1949 unsolved murder that unraveled politics in New Mexico, and the documentary, The Silence of Cricket Kugler, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Well, not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Unsolved Murders for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unsolved Murders on Spotify, just open the app, tap browse, and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. Well, several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Yep, if we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler with sound design by Michael Langsner. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Vanessa Pegram and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Rebecca Aarons-Diamond, Mike Capozzi, Susanna Corrington, Sky King, and Harris Markson. Unsolved.